We are starting a new series called The Blessed Life. The Blessed Life. Every area of your life, God wants to bless. You're going to learn something new from the Word of God. About every, there will, I will talk about money in this series, obviously, but we're talking about the blessed life, not about the blessed pocketbook. It's a series about all of our lives. Let me ask you a question. Is the word love important? Is that an important word in the Bible? How many times do you think that's used in the Bible? Love, loved, around 800, depending on your translation. Could be up to, you know, 850, you know, different translations. Got the King James, it may say charity. The word given, give, given, guess how many times that's used in the Bible? About 2,000. Because, see, God's a giving God. He wants us to reflect him. So I'm going to intro, I'm going to let Robert Morris intro this for us because this is his life message. Not because he's a pastor of a big church, not because he does this so well, not because he's written books on it. Yes, all those things are true. But this is his life message. 20 years before he had books, before he was famous, y'all probably have heard of this, he has one of the largest churches in America, uh, North Dallas. Before all of that, he spent 20 years of, and this is always the way it works. Listen to me now. It's always the way it works. You'll spend 20 years in the desert just obeying, just obeying the Lord, just being faithful. And then when God has tr- he's grown you, he's matured you, you've been faithful with it, then all of a sudden everyone knows your name. And I don't need everyone to know my name. I just want to be faithful. The, the product, the, the, the fruit's up to him. He's going to take care of that. So I want to introduce, Robert Morris will introduce this to really give us a perspective about the blessed life. It's about a six-minute video, so let's watch this. I love the way he intros that because anytime you hear the word give, you think money. That's not the issue in the Bible. The issue in the Bible is found in Deuteronomy 6 because God wants our heart, every part of our life. So, excuse me, Deuteronomy 15. So let's go to our main text, Deuteronomy 15. We're going to read 7 through 11. Let me set this up. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 3 starts out like this. In the 40th year, in the 11th month, Moses stood up, and all of the people of Israel are at the Jordan on the non-promised land side. On the non-promised land side. In the 40th year, in the 11th month. If you've read the Old Testament, you know what happened for 40 years. They have wandered in the desert because the older generation was faithless. The older generation succumbed to the pressure and the ideology that they took out of Egypt. And it broke them. It broke their life. And they died there in the desert. Now, this young new generation has two pictures of them looking forward at the promised land. Moses speaking. They got two pictures in their mind. The 40 years that they spent in the desert. And an old, old picture of an Egypt that they kind of remember as bad. And, and, and they saw God's great things. But they, some of them would have been very young, right? Uh, you know, some of them been 8, 10 years old. And a, 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 the mindset of a 10-year-old, they kind of remember pictures and stuff of it. So Moses is standing there with these new people. He's saying, all right, God's got a plan. He's got a culture to produce. He's got a culture and a people he wants as his very own, a generous, loving people who love him first and love others. 
And this is going to have to be your culture if you're going to go into the promised land. It'll have to be the culture. So we're going to, he's going to give them all kind of commands and all kind of things. Let's just, for our main text, jump into Deuteronomy 15.7. If there is among you a poor man of your brethren within any of the gates in your land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart nor shut your hand for the, from your poor brother, but you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly. Lend him sufficient for his need, whatever he needs. Beware lest there be a wicked thought in your, what? Heart. Now, we think of heart, don't think of it as an emotion or obviously not the thing that's keeping you alive, but as the totality of yourself, as your whole being. Of your heart saying, the seventh year, the year of release is at hand. Every seventh year, all debts were forgiven. I'd like that. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Can we implement that again? <laughs> and your eye be evil against your poor brother, and you give him nothing. And he cry out to the Lord against you, and it becomes sin among you. You shall surely give to him, and your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him. Because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your works and in all to which you put your hand. For the poor will never cease from the land. You need to remember that in life. That this culture, that this government, that this whatever will never fix the, ultimately fix the problems of mankind. It's a sin issue. And we need to understand that. Therefore I command you, saying, you shall open your hand wide to your brother. Even though you ultimately can't fix everything, you do what I tell you to do. You do what you know you're supposed to do. To your brother, to the poor, and to the needy in your land. All right, you've got some notes there. Let's look at this. Verse 9. Beware. Look out for. To look out for. You know, I always pay attention when I see one of those beware signs, especially like beware high voltage. Okay, I don't want to just be touching anything. I'm, I'm not an elect, electrical guy. Like, I electrocuted someone in the church when we were building it. So he's, not, he's okay. It wasn't a bad electrocution. It was a, a light one. But I, when I see the word beware, I, get, I start looking around. Like, I need to pay attention. Beware, lest there be a wicked thought in your heart. Now, why does he equate wickedness with, with selfishness. It's because of Jeremiah 17, and I want to show you this, Jeremiah 17, 7 through 10. We need to understand something about our own hearts. Jeremiah 17, 7 through 10. It's up there on your screen. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and who puts his hope in, is, and whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters which spreads out its root by the river and will not fear when heat comes but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. It's a compare and contrast. Verse 5 says, Curses the man who trusts in, in man, blesses the man who trusts in the Lord. Verse 9, look at this. The heart is what? It's deceitful. Don't listen to Hollywood. I told you that for 16 years. Don't ever listen to Hollywood. That thing's deceitful and cunning. It'll bring you the wrong way. Oh, be in the word of God. Oh, have godly authority over you. And oh, let the spirit of the Lord lead you. Don't ever follow your heart. It will mess you up a hundred ways. It's deceitful above all things. It'll run high emotion. It's deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So we need to understand, number one on your notes, giving helps us deal 
with a selfish heart. Beware, lest there be a wicked thought in you with that selfish heart. Again, not only don't think about the money of context, think about every area of our life. A group of Bible college students were asked, why did God implement giving? A group of Bible college students were asked, why did God implement giving? The overwhelming answer from all of them was to support his kingdom and the local church. A group of Bible college students were said, why do you do this and why are you supposed to stand up like this, like I'm doing, and tell people why do you give or to support his kingdom and local church? No, absolutely not. Does the, does the God of the universe who owns everything need your money? No. Why do we give? For one chief and clear reason, to reflect and be like him, right? That's why we're givers in everything. That's why people get here early at church and prep and do all this, because they want to give and reflect his nature. All things we do is to reflect him. Giving is not about giving to a church or giving to someone. It's about reflecting his nature and who he is. Let's keep looking. Verse 10 of Deuteronomy 15. You shall surely give to him... And your heart should not be grieved when you give to him. Because for this thing, the Lord your God will bless you in all your works, in all to which you put your hand. Your heart should not be grieved when you give to him. It's a great quote. I put it on your notes there. Selfishness attacks us before we give and grief attacks us after we give. And this is in every area of, my, of our lives. Let me tell you the area I have to deal with this almost every day. Every day when I go to work, you know, you got things and work, and you get home, men, and the time of giving is not over, is it? No, because the wife needs this, the kids need this, and da, 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 even the dog needs something. Oh, goodness, right? So beware, at least I have a selfish heart when I step in there, and then, okay, Lord, Not only do I not want to have a selfish heart, but I don't want to have a grieving heart. Let me tell you what a grieving heart is. It's when you just said, you know what, I can't deal with this right now. I'm just going to go sit and just let me watch some TV and unwind. And the kids are coming and they're saying, hey, daddy, will you play with me, do this with me? And I say, daddy's tired. That is a grieving heart. I I have grieved myself and I've grieved them. Did I say number two on your notes? Giving helps us deal with a grieving heart. Let's look at verse 11. For the poor will never cease from the land. Therefore, I command you, saying, you shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor and your needy in the land. You shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor and to your needy in the land. Remember where they're standing. They're standing at the Jordan River. 
looking back on the previous generation and looking back at the wickedness of Egypt. And Moses said, no more. You cannot be God's people. You cannot go in the promised land and fulfill your purposes on this planet that I have for you the way they lived. You have to make some changes and go forward. That's the picture of this culture. That's the picture God has for all of us. Number three on your notes. Giving helps us develop a generous heart. Takes care of selfishness. Takes care of grieving. It takes care and gives us a generous heart. Again, this is not a, about a money thing only. I want to show you the struggle the New Testament church had with something. Acts chapter 10. So, the Gentiles are getting saved. They're getting saved, and God's moving, and all these things happen. So they send a group to the Gentiles to find out what's going on with them. Is this real? You know, they're going to need some leaderships and pastorings and this and that. So what happens is uh, Peter and them get there, and, man, the Holy Spirit falls and moves. Remember, this is when Peter had the vision. He didn't like Gentiles so much. He had the vision of, um, of the sheets coming down and all kind of bacon and sausage and all that good jambalaya and he said, and angel says, eat. And he says, no, 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 I'm a good Jewish boy. I don't eat that. If, if the angel would have been looking, he'd have eaten it. And Jesus says, angel says, no, 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 no. What I've called clean, you don't call unclean. Eat it. So that's the vision. And he says, all right, you're going to the Gentiles. No more, no, all this separation, it's done. So he gets to the Gentiles. Man, God just pours out his spirit. So let, here it is right here, Acts 10, 44. Let me walk you through Acts 10 and 11. Acts 10, 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word, and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out or given out on the Gentiles also. Okay, verse 46. For they heard them speak with tongues, and magnify God. Okay, so this great outpouring gift happens. Now look at Luke, I'm sorry, excuse me, Acts 11, 1. Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision, all the Jews, contended with him. What is happening? Saying, you went? in to the uncircumcised men and ate with them all? Why are they having a problem in believing this? They have small thinking, understanding the generosity of God. They do not comprehend, and they are way lagging behind the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's giving. He's pouring out His Spirit on the Gentiles, and they're way back there. They haven't crossed the Jordan yet. So Peter spends all of chapter 11 re-explaining the vision and what happened and how the Holy Spirit got poured out and all this stuff. Look at 11, 17, and 18. If therefore God gave them the same gift, he what? Gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus. Who was I that I could withstand God? When they heard these things, they became silent. They just couldn't believe the generosity of God. And they glorified God saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance 
to life. So we see right here, look, these are leaders, right? Are, are, are these like new Christians? No. I mean, these are, these are the leaders of the, of the, the church in Judea and, and Jerusalem, all this area. And God had to bring them up to speed. He had to father them in this area. No one holds all the cards, right? No one holds all the cards. There's all areas he's fathering us in and working on us in and maturing us in. And he said, look, you need to understand my generosity is so great. I'll pour out my spirit on these Gentiles. I'll move on them in mighty ways. That was a lot of the issue he had with Samaria. Jesus said, look, those, that harvest is ripe. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> you're not talking about the Samaritans. Yes, I'm a generous God, and i got to get you up to speed. Giving helps us develop a generous heart. So we had to bring these New Testament leaders up to speed also. Every week that we do this series, a four-week series, I want to have someone else come up, just someone and give a testimony about what God has taught them about being generous. What God, is, what God has taught them about being generous. So this week I asked uh, Darren and Brazette to come up. They're going to give you a testimony. Who gets the mic first? Okay, <laughs> I'm just asking. I mean, I'm married too. So. I'm the one that talks the most. So um, Darren and I really spent some time after Pastor Stephen um, contacted us thinking, and the question he posed to us was, what has God taught us through tithing? And so, um, so Darren and I have known each other since we're 12. It's 42 years now. And we were raised in a godly home. Both of us were. And so God has taught us many things through tithing. First of all, that it's a generational blessing. And, and we really sat down last night and, and talked about this again and looked at both of our grandparents and our parents and us and even our children, you know. So one thing is that it's a generational blessing. And it's never been a question for Darren as to whether or not we tithe. It was just, this is what we were taught, this is what we learned, and we saw the blessings throughout many generations. And we see it in our children's lives now, so that's a one thing. And then the other thing that we taught about that, uh, that we learned through tithing is that the harvest is not always financial. And um, we could stand up here for hours and tell you how God has blessed us in so many ways. And um, I guess Darren, Darren made me say a joke and I'll tell it to you, so it's, it's a Cajun joke, okay? But this is how good God is, and it's not always a financial blessing. Last year, well, those of y'all that may not know, Darren and I are big gardeners. We love to garden. We try very hard. Sometimes we're very successful, and sometimes it's complete failure. Like right now, our chickens are eating our broccoli. So <laughs> it happens, okay? But last year, as in many years past, we've been really blessed. God is good, okay? So we always do this silly thing. I bring my vegetables to church. I don't know if y'all noticed that. Maybe other people. I know we've been at other churches. And there's been a basket of tomatoes. There was one here this summer. Some of y'all got some. And Megan called me. She said, was that you? And I said, yeah, enjoy it, you know. So the next day, I get a phone call, and someone says, hey, do you want an ice chest of crawfish? I was like, yes. <laughs> so I, called, I remember calling Megan boiled and saying, boiled coffee. It was already boiled. Okay, Darren was offshore, you know. So this is God blessing us through tithing, through giving, not just financial giving, because we give. Y'all know we've brought children into our home that have been on drugs and everything. But when you give, okay, God gives, and it's not always in a financial harvest. It may be in an ice chest of crawfish. <laughs> <clears throat> Or it may be uh, 
grace and patience to someone who has no place else to go because their family has pretty much disowned them um, and they're strung out on drugs or just um, and through these experiences I found out that these young men were never parented they were never taught how to live um, Um, they, weren't, they weren't taught how to live, how to interact with an adult. Um, they weren't taught about the Bible, about exactly how God loves you. Um, and that presents challenges when you want to be Christ-like. <laughs> Somebody moves into your house. <laughs> you can't trust them. Um, you don't know what they're going to say or do next. <clears throat> it's quite humbling. Um, but then you see the success that they're in you know, 14 months into a program with their life dramatically changed. When they come visit, they want to say grace. When they come to church with you, they want to raise their hand and praise God. Giving is more than, than money. It, it's planting a seed and watching the plant grow. And, uh, knowing that <clears throat> you've done exactly what Jesus Christ wants you to do. You've, you've saved one soul, and if you save one, how many souls can that soul touch? It's just all through giving, right? Yes, it's giving your time, your finances. Uh, it definitely teaches you not to be selfish. I mean, is that it? Yeah. You hit it right on the head. Excuse me. You hit it when you said it's generational blessing. And what is God? What is God teaching this new generation that has to start God's people right here in Deuteronomy? I this previous generation didn't live in my blessing. I don't want you to live like this. You're going to cross this Jordan, and you're going to do it differently, and it's going to change your children and the next generation, and the next generation, and the next generation. You're going to change the way you talk and think and act because I understand you got a slave mentality from Egypt, but you're changing that, and that's, that's what the whole picture is. That's a great testimony that it's a generational blessing, just this attitude and this heart. Again, it's about our heart and a whole area of our life of giving. The last and most important point. Go back to Deuteronomy. This is Deuteronomy, same chapter, verse 12 through 15. If your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you and serves you six years, then in the seventh year which was a year of release, all debts were forgiven. You shall let them go free from you. And when you send him away free, okay, you don't owe him anything. You've, he's completed his deal. You don't have to do anything. You shall not let him go away empty-handed. Empty-handed. You shall supply him liberally from your flock, from your threshing floor, and from your wine press, for what the Lord, from what the Lord your God has blessed you with, you shall give him. Look at verse 15. 
so important. You shall remember. What does God want you always, 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 always to remember? That you were a slave in the land of Egypt and that the Lord your God redeemed you. Oh, that's we're going to talk about that in a few weeks. Redemption. Oh, to buy back. Redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this day, this thing today. You remember one thing. You were a slave. You remember one thing. That you were saved by my grace and by my hand. And you give because it proclaims you're not in Egypt anymore. You give because it proclaims my salvation over you. We must always connect our giving, our lifestyle, the way we spend our time, our energy and our resources with our salvation. Always, always, always. The Old Testament uh, believers in Christ, the Old, the Old Testament people could not proclaim. They could not proclaim their salvation without giving. They couldn't even do it without being part of the tithe. It was their life. It was their lifestyle. And you certainly can't do it in your home. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, 20 and 21. When your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded you? The testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments, everything. Do kids ask questions? Oh, my goodness. I want a counter for that. I'm going to get one of those. Do kids ask questions nonstop, night and day? Amen? And what's, this is what happens. You want to become numb to it because they ask 10 ridiculous questions. But stay with it. Stay on it because number 11, maybe it's number 87, I don't know. It's coming. And they're going to step and they're going to open up their heart. It's not just kids. It's that coworker too. It's that neighbor too. They're going to open up and they're going to say, why do you do this? Why do you get up early on Sunday? Why do you pray and like this? You, what, why do you do this with your money or your time or your talent? Just whatever. They're going to ask. And you're going to step forward. Verse 21. Then you shall say to your son, let me tell you, when I was a slave, let me tell you before Jesus, let me tell you the way it was before him. When I had a heart of selfishness and sin and I was dead in my sins and trespasses and he made me alive and he caused me to be a giver, everything changed. When we were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of that mess with a mighty hand. Amen? Number four in your notes. Giving helps, excuse me, giving helps us develop a grateful heart. If you like worshipful, then you put worship. Where it's a grateful heart of, oh, I am saved. Oh, I am saved. I'm going to show you. The only, new te- the only scripture I need on this, but I want to show you a New Testament scripture in Hebrews that reflects this. 
The book of Hebrews obviously was not just written to the Hebrews, it was written to all Christians in the early church and throughout time. It's the New Testament. Here, mortal men, mortal men, a, a brick and mortar or sheetrock church, receives tithe, a gift. But there he, God, Christ, receives them. And what does it do? Of whom it is witnessed, I serve the living God who rose from the grave and saved me from my sins. Your giving testifies of your salvation. Look at it. Is that what it says? Your giving proclaims to this world. He saved me. I'm saved. Now, I don't have the ability to proclaim the gospel perfectly in every genre, in every way. I, I don't have all the cards, right? No one has all the abilities. But in every way that I can, I will. Or that's sin to me. So Megan and I have decided, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to testify every day that he lives. It's a horrible feeling to say, I can't testify according to this scripture every day that he lives. Now, no one's saved by works. Please understand we're saved by the grace of God. But I want to have a voice of testimony. See, I got a bunch of kids who ask me questions all the time. And like you talked about those generational blessings, I get to live them. I lived them in the generation before. I get to live them in mine, and by the grace of God, he'll, my children will live in them. We sit down and say, I want to tell you how you can worship the Lord. Let's stand up. Excuse me. I got through the day. It has been a crazy. We got a horrible viral infection this week. And um, uh, getting, I was like, you know, in a fetal position a couple days. You can't even uh, just got here on Monday and worked on Friday. Y'all have had weeks like that. That's just the way it is. And crazy we get home and all that stuff and baby having surgery and that. So this morning I got in and uh, this is a personal testimony for just this week and for you guys. This morning I got in and I was like, man. I haven't been able to pray like I normally do. I haven't been able to study like I normally do. And I'm, I come in confidence if I'm prepped, right? You know the feeling. You don't, I don't get to work late. You don't want to be able to get God sliding in at work. You don't want to know them they're there because they're late. So, th- so t- this morning I got in at my time, and I'm like, Lord, it wasn't because of neglect. It's just I didn't have it. I was horribly sick and this and that. I said, okay, Lord, I just need to feel your grace. I just need to feel that you're here and you're with me. And I just, we started praying. I prayed before and Taylor came here. And I just felt such the wonderful grace of God. The wonderful grace of God. C.S. Lewis was sitting, I'm closing with this. C.S. Lewis was sitting in Cambridge, one of the great minds of the 20th century, at lunch. And the philosophy department came to him and he was sitting with a friend. And they had been talking all day, as philosophers do, talk from night to day. Came to C.S. Lewis and looked at him and said, Lewis, we've been debating, is there really any difference between Christianity and every other form of thought? Or any other form of thought? Is there really, come on, this is Cambridge. 
This is C.S. Lewis. This is Great Minds. And he just smiled, and he looked at them. He said, yes, I can answer that in one word. He said, the difference is grace. So you need to understand that wherever you are in life, you need to center yourself on his grace. You need to reflect on those scriptures because what happens is one, they can condemn. God doesn't want to condemn you. He wants to convict you and bring you to his grace. He wants to convict you and bring you to his grace. And all the philosophies, and this is a hot-button topic, you know, whether it's you're talking about giving or tithing or what amount or whatever, he wants to center you on his word and on his grace. So you just come to him in these last few minutes. Say, okay, Lord, the Holy, if you're a Christ follower, the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you, right? And he will center you right on his wonderful grace and his word. So let's just come to the Lord. going to give you a minute then we're going to make a decision and proclaim the Lord together. Maybe you grew up in a home that was contrary to giving. It was a stingy environment. And it affected you. I mean, it affected you. You're seeing that. Say, Lord, I don't want any part of that. And it may have not even been their fault, especially children who grew up uh, as Great Depression kids in, in, a, in such poverty. They clung to everything because they thought they had nothing. But that's not God's plan for you. You renounce that and you say, Lord, I want your identity, not any that some horrible economic disaster brought on a culture and a generation. I want God's identity. God wants you to have his identity, even if your parents grew up in Egypt. He wants his identity on you and his blessings flowing through you. And he wants his word to be your culture in your home, in your life. You talk to the Lord about that. Make a decision. God has a promised land for us. We must hear and obey and cross over into it and live in that land. We cannot expect the blessings of God not crossing over in obedience. So let's make it, you make a decision before the living God. Above all, that we want to live with a generous heart. A generous heart in all things that we do. And the Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us. The word of the Lord will lead us and guide us in all this stuff.
as we end, let's make this proclamation to be generous with our heart and our mind. Come on, sing with me. Pray with me. Engage the Holy Spirit. Stay, we're standing before the, the throne of the living God. Engage with me now. Lord, we come before you right now. We give you our heart, every part of it. No part stays in it. No part stays in the wilderness. We don't want any of Egypt. We want to go over and be your people. So Lord, we surrender every part of our life, every part of our resources, our time. It's yours, Lord. Lead us, guide us, Father. God bless you. <laughs> Have a great day.